This month, I want to talk about health. Oh, talking about health is so hard, isn't it? Because we all agree with dieting, don't we? Don't raise your hand if you're on a diet, by the way. Um, we all agree with it, but how many of us, you know, uh, enjoy it or do it? And so some of my talks this month, you're going to agree with what I say. You're going to say, yeah, I really want to do that, but it's then how we can put it into practice. And that's going to be our real depth. And that's where we need to go deeper. It is so great to be with you today. Kathy and I are just delighted, aren't we, Kathy? Well, one month in, this is our month anniversary, okay? I'm not sure we deserve an applause yet. Today, I'd like to talk to you about something you agree with. There was a fussy Christian one time. And, uh, you know, it's one of those Christians who kind of wasn't sure who they should fellowship with in case they got distracted or even polluted by some other Christian's doctrine. And he was walking around Tesco. It was a Tesco Extra, so the ones that had the furniture in and everything. He was walking around Tesco and he saw another man walking around the, the shop with a Bible. And he thought, oh, maybe that's another Christian. And he went up to him and said, are you a believer? 
The other guy said, yes, I am. He said, well, I've learned that you can't be too careful, so I've got a few questions. Virgin birth? Yes, I accept it. Deity of Christ? No doubt, he said. The death of Christ on the cross? He died for all people, answered the man. Could it be, he thought, that I've found another Christian that I can have fellowship with? He probed a bit deeper. What is the status of mankind? He's a sinner in need of grace. What is the definition of grace? He asked. God doing for man what man cannot do, he answered. Return of Christ, imminent. The Bible, inspired. The church, the body of Christ. Plain speaking or politically correct? Plain speaking and truth telling, that's me. His heart began to beat a bit faster. Had he found somebody he could really have fellowship with? What's your church heritage, he said. Southern Congregational Holy Son of God Dispensationalist Triune Convention. Well, that's my denomination, he said. Miracle upon miracles. Got to be careful, though. What branch are you? I am pre-millennial, post-trib, charismatic, King, King James preference, one cup communion. His eyes grew misty. Finally, I have found somebody I could have fellowship with. One last question. Is your pulpit wooden or is it fiberglass? <laughs> fiberglass, he said. Heretic, he said, and walked off. Isn't it strange how we find unity quite difficult amongst us when we've got so much love in the love of God? Psalm 133 says this. Why don't you turn there with me? It's a little bright there, guys, that one. Psalm 133. Read it along with me or follow along with me. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard. Whose beard? Aaron's beard. By the way, who's writing this song? King David. Running down on the collar of his robe. As if it is, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, what we often do is we often read the Bible without stepping back. We jump straight into the thoughts and the phrases and the words without stepping back and kind of observing what's going on. And I want you to look at this psalm as if it was a film in front of it. I want you to notice who's involved in this psalm. First of all, it's a psalm of David. David is the king. David is the leader. Someone who's responsible for the health of the nation and he's responsible, actually one of the king's main jobs was to ensure that everybody kept the law. 
But actually, under his stewardship, the health of the nation was important. But he's not to be a king like, like the nations. Deuteronomy 17 verse 20 says, he was not to see himself better than anyone else, but actually he's to be approachable. He's to be a shepherd, hearted leader, a servant leader. He's got to be approachable. So, That's the king who's writing this psalm. He's writing a picture. The second person who you see is Aaron, the priest. Now, Aaron, the priest, he's the high priest. He's the main person, uh, not the main worshipper, but the person who is making sure that worship happens properly. And in this psalm, it's Aaron who is anointed with oil. The worshippers, the priests, are the ones who are anointed with oil. Now David's looking at this picture and so he's saying how great it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It's like Aaron is being anointed with oil. If you look at this picture, if you stand back and watch this psalm, there's somebody who's not named who's pouring the oil on Aaron's head. Now, you could say it might be David, but actually, in the Old Testament, the person who poured oil on people's head was usually the prophet. You've got a king, a priest, and a prophet in this psalm. Moses, in Exodus 40, verse 13, dress Aaron in sacred garments and anoint him, consecrate him with oil so that he may serve as a priest. 2 Kings 9 verse 1 says this, the prophet Elijah summoned a man from the company of prophets to take uh, and said to him, take this flask and pour the oil on on his head. 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 1, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. Has not the Lord anointed you? Over to rule over his inheritance. And of course, you know that with David himself, that Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on David's head in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord powerfully came upon him. So we have a king, a priest, and an oil pourer prophet. So in this psalm, we have a king writing and singing about the unity that exists between the different functions that happen amongst us. We see a unity of gifts and functions. And of course, this is very similar to the New Testament. That in the New Testament, we read that as our gifts mold together, in Ephesians 4, it says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the evangelists, the prophets, the pastors and teachers to equip people for works of service. That's their role. But why? So that the body may be built up until we all reach what? Unity in the faith. The whole working together of different functions and gifts is so that we come into a place of unity. So, And in the knowledge of the Son of God, we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There is no maturity without unity. Until we pull together, which I know that we are, but until we deepen that, we cannot say that we are a mature body. 
Of course, the body image in the New Testament is really strong. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 20 says this, but in fact, God has placed the parts of his body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Turn to your neighbour and say, you were meant to be here. God put you here. You were meant to be here. God put you here. God placed you here. You are supposed to be here. God wanted you here. So you, you don't have to, in a sense, wonder, I wonder if I fit in. God placed you here. You're part of His jigsaw. You're part of His body. The Bible goes on and says this. If they were all one part, where would the body be? If everybody was the same, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Let's just pause there for a moment. The eye is the, is the thing that sees. There are people in the body of Christ that, that can see things. They're prophetic people. They are seers. They can tell us what's coming down the track. And they're the ones that, that can kind of spend hours in prayer and say, I can sense what's coming. I've got insight. And then there are those people who are hand people. There are people who say, well, listen, you can pray all you like about what's coming down the track, but I just want to help people. I just want to give people a cup of water. You're praying that the land is thirsty. I'm actually giving people some water. You see, we need both though. We need people who can see and help us. And we need people who can do and work with us. We need Marys who sit at the feet of Jesus and just worship. And we need Marthas who begin to wash up the pots and pans. We need everybody in the, in the body. It's gone really quiet in here because you're wondering, am I a hand? <laughs> what am I? Well, let me push it further. According to your Bible knowledge, who's the head? Jesus is the head. Ephesians 4.15, it says, Paul goes on and says, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, many of you are going to be thinking, oh, Pastor Mark, he's getting on shaky ground here where Jesus is limiting himself. What Jesus is saying is, I am so committed to the body. I am marrying myself to this body. So why wouldn't you? So what is it about the body that you feel that you can step out of? You see, in this Psalms, we see all the positions and ministries completely working together to bring an anointing. That when the king looks and the, and the prophet is anointing the priest, the king can sing about it and rejoice in it. The king isn't saying, hang on, why aren't I being the one who's anointed? The prophet isn't saying, surely I should be the one who's doing the singing and the writing because I'm the prophet after all. We see that the, every single ministry gift and function is kind of blending together to give a beautiful picture that is pleasant and good even more than what we imagine. 
Now the body, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. This phrase in this psalm where it says, together in unity, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. That phrase is one word. And it's in the Hebrew, it's a word called yichad. And the word yichad means that you are united and joined in such a way that you can't do it in theory. You have to be present, be there, be engaged, be connected. Yihad means that you don't say something like, hey, pastor, I'm with you in spirit. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing at all. <laughs> you cannot be in unity in theory. You have to be together. You have to be texting, you have to be calling, you have to be visiting, you have to be face-to-face, -face, you have to be online. This unity is not just nice. For that's how we read it. We read a phrase, how good and pleasant it is, and we go, oh, that's nice. It's more than nice when God's people live together in unity. It's more than this is a nice way. It's actually vital and this is what I want to share with you today. That actually, I want you to consider, and look what the scripture says, consider that how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like, it is the same thing as the anointing oil being poured on Aaron's head. It is like the precious oil it's as valuable as any anointing. In fact, this is my message today in a sentence. If you want the power and presence and permission of God in your life, you will have to go deeper in unity because they are hand and glove together. Amen, church? We have to be that family. Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples by how much you love one another. If you want to pray for a deeper anointing, you have to move to a deeper sense of unity. You see, carry on in this psalm. You see, this type of unity, it brings people of all types together to appreciate each other. It says this, this this unity is like the dew from Mount Hermon flowing down on Mount Zion. Mount Hermon was the highest mountain in the northern part of Israel on the border of Syria, actually a snow-capped mountain. And it had really heavy dew. Uh, it was ringing wet. It was because of the atmosphere where that is. It's unusually soaking. But actually Mount Zion is... Is, as you know, is round Jerusalem and it's quite arid and dry there. And the dew is very thin. And actually what David is saying, being a Zion dweller, he said, we need some of that dew from the north. We need, and, and the northern people were seeing a little bit uh, as rough and, well, a bit like today, really. The, you know, the, you know the, and what David is saying, we need that. You see, what this unity does, it, it brings all types of people together. Rough northerners, sophisticated southerners brought together to bring a refreshing for everyone. I wish I was speaking in Scotland right now. 
this psalmist implies we need each other. That's actually what he's saying. We need this refreshing from each other of different types of people. But, but also understand this, that in this psalm, it's also that this unity is a vehicle for God's activity. It's the vehicle where he bestows his blessing. You might have a translation that says, there God commands his blessing, but he bestows his blessing, for the Lord bestows his blessing. Blessing is favour. It's, it's where things flow, where things become what seemed hard, become a little bit easier is when God blesses it and puts his hand upon it. You see, without unity, everything's hard. Everything's difficult. You know at home. I don't want to get too personal, but you know at home when things aren't right, everything doesn't work. And maybe it's time just to squeeze your wife's hand right now and say, sorry, dear. Because maybe we want to talk about unity in the home as well as in the church. Because this type of unity, the Bible says, in fact, it brings life and life forevermore. That's the bottom line reasoning. Who doesn't want life? You cannot have the full life of Jesus unless you make a commitment to being in unity in your home with your children. It's difficult sometimes. In your workplace, as, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But in your church, that you begin to say, I can talk a lot about anointing, but unless I'm willing to put forward and begin to go deeper in my unity at church, then how deep will the anointing be here? See, I want you to notice something. Notice that it's Aaron the priest that gets anointed. The worshippers who minister before God need that oil in order to worship in order to be a priest, the New Testament says that we're the priesthood. First Peter 2 verse 9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And they don't just get a dab of this anointing oil. Like, you know, when we were doing the anointing service, you know, we had bowls and we just placed a little spot on everybody's head. I was thinking back, you know, I was thinking about this message back then. What would it be like if I just gone throw the oil over everybody. You know, you didn't know me well enough then and you, you know, you probably would have said, what's he going on about? But here, look at this. This isn't just Aaron getting a little touch on his head. His head is being poured with oil and it's running down off his beard onto his shoulders. We need lots of anointing. We don't need just a little bit. And so I want to just dispel right now just a few myths about what anointing is. Everybody, turn with me to Exodus chapter 30. I want you to read what came as ingredients to this anointing oil. I'll, I'll read it as quickly as possible, but I want you to see it. Turn in your Bibles there. Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 to 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, that's number three, 500 shekels of cassia, that's number four, 
all according to the sanctuary circle, and a hen, that's a lot more, of olive oil. Those are the five ingredients that make up the anointing oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of the perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark and the covenant of the law, the table and all its articles, the lampstand, its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar, the burnt offering, the piano, the speakers, the guitar, everywhere. You will consecrate them so that they will be most holy and whatever touches them will be holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve as priests. Priests need anointing. A royal priesthood needs plenty of anointing. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not pour it on anyone else's body and do not make any other oil using this same formula. It's sacred and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and puts it on any other than the priest must be cut off from their people. We'll get to that in a moment. Five ingredients. Number one, myrrh. Myrrh was a healing agent and it was healing of that which is dead. Usually it was used in embalming and medicine had a really strong odour and fragrance. Part of your anointing will be how you have suffered and crucified some things to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you've learned to put some things to death in your life. It was one of the gifts that they brought to Jesus by the three wise men or the wise men, should I say. It was myrrh. A baby being born and the first thing you give him is a balming oil, embalming oil, because he was born to die. Because his whole purpose was to die on a cross for you and me. Myrrh represents those things that we need to put to death. If you never put some things to death, your anointing never grows. Cinnamon at this time was actually very rare. It was something that only could be accessed actually from India. And one of the things about the rarity of this represents that you are the only you that there is in this whole world. And God wants you to give the best of you. Part of your anointing is your surrendered you. God, I haven't got much, but what I have, I give it to you. Your best intentions, your gift of love given to God from yourself. Calamus is a very sweet ingredient, smelling. Part of your anointing is this way and the thing that you give off to people around you. It's this attitude that you project towards others. Most people think anointing is between you and God. But actually part of your anointing is the attitude that you portray to everyone else. Whether or not you can project to them and put them at their ease. 
cassia, was an incense. And it's part of that part of the anointing oil that was sweet smelling that went up to God. And part of your anointing will be about your private devotions and your worship. It's great to worship here, isn't it? And it's wonderful today as the worship team come. But I just want to say to you, part of your anointing will be built on your private worship and your prayers to God. Myrrh, what do you put to sleep? Uh, Excuse me, what do you put to death in your life? What do you crucify to God and say, I don't need that in my life anymore. That's part of your anointing. Cinnamon, the best of you, the individual you, God loves who you are. What do you give to God? You see, you've been taught for many years, perhaps by many teachers that say our anointing is all about our prayer life. And sure it is, because cassia was that incense. But it's not just that, it also involves this calamus ingredient that is so sweet smelling that everybody around it said, oh, that's nice. I wonder when people get around to you, whether they go, oh, isn't it great to be in their presence? See, part of your anointing is about your attitude to others. And then the last ingredient was olive oil and there was huge amounts of that. And actually we need to be the sort of people that say, I am so open to your Holy Spirit. Whatever you want, pour it on me, Lord. Do you want to be anointed? You see, it isn't just one thing. You have to understand that all these elements, the elements of a good attitude, the elements of a good prayer life, the elements of your individuality, the elements of you crucifying things to the Lord and and letting some things go, the elements of you being open to the Holy Spirit, those five elements, that makes up your anointing, but you can't just have one. Look what the Bible says. It says, make these into a sacred anointing oil and get a, a fragrant blend by a perfumer. I pray the divine perfumer blends all these things in your life so that your anointing grows. I just wonder today whether you've been the sort of Christian that says, it's me and you, Lord, it's me and you, Lord. And the Lord's saying, no, it's me, you and everyone else. It's me, you and everyone else. We have to be in unity because here's the message. You cannot have a strong anointing unless you have a strong commitment to unity. Unless you love somebody, you love your wife and cherish her as if she's the most precious thing you've ever found. You love your home and you love your church and you love people around you. You see yourself as the pastor of your workplace. And until you have that commitment to unity, your anointing won't be strong. Anointing must touch everything in our lives. That's why, that's why it was said of, to Moses, put it, on the, put it on the table, put it over there, put it over there. It must touch everything. We can't separate it out. Anointing has to be fueled by a sense of exclusivity. Remember it says, now don't use this oil for, for just general purposes. There's got to be something about your life where you say, for God and for God alone. 
That's not to say we don't go out in the world and we don't do things in the world, but it has to be, God, this, this heart of mine is for you. You have the first in my life. You consider it to be sacred. The anointing means power and permission to serve. That's what anointing is, the power and the permission to serve. And it is only given by a commitment to unity. So if you just want to kind of come to our church and God bless you and, and just access it, but you don't want to put much effort in, your anointing, no matter how much you think, won't be that strong. So our health this month is, can we be committed to each other? Is there somebody we need to make everything right with? How committed are you to unity? Unity and anointing go hand in hand. You can't really have one without the other. You see, maybe you could just stand with me and hold your communion cup. Anointing is the work of the divine perfumer. That he blends lots of things in your life. Look, look. You need to stop seeing that anointing is just one thing. We, we've been taught for generations, if we pray and if we pray and if we pray and if we pray, our anointing grows. And sure, that has something to do with it. But you have to stop seeing anointing as one dimension. It actually involves your attitude to other people. Anointing, it's like dew. And unity, it's like dew that refreshes the atmosphere. Have you ever walked into a place where there's a bad atmosphere? Have you ever been in a family where you go over for dinner and they've had an argument just before and you're kind of feeling awkward? You see, what God wants to place on our church and on your life is this atmosphere of welcome and of refreshing and of difference. Just raise your hand with me and say, wash me, Lord. Just wash me, Lord. I want to be washed in your Holy Spirit, Jew. I want to be in unity. You see, you can say you want many things in God, but without this real commitment to unity in our church, you won't get much else. Hey, did you hear that? The Bible says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil being poured on the priesthood. Unless you have this commitment to unity, you won't get much else. The Bible says, if it at all possible, as far as it depends with you, live at peace with everyone.